And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dr. TJ, and with me as always is Aaron. Sitting in silence over there <laughs> every week. It's the exact same thing, ladies and gentlemen. I expect her to say something and all of it gets a little laugh in silence. Oh, gosh. So we've got an interesting show today um, for, well, basically, shortly after we started the show, we started getting emails asking, you know, what's your thoughts on this? What's your thoughts on that? What's your thoughts on something else? And one of the topics that we have gotten tons and tons of questions regarding is... Lyme disease. Right. And not just for the show, but in your clinic in general. Yes. In the clinic in general. We, um, yeah, we, we have a lot of, of people who have a diagnosis of Lyme disease that come to see us and that has spurned off a bunch of questions. We've get they, th- these individuals come in and, and bring questions from family members. We have, you know, I have a couple of clinics throughout the country that are very well known at, uh, at, you know, taking care of Lyme disease and helping people find the diagnosis of Lyme disease. And we've get referrals from those. Um, and so we end up taking care of quite a few people that, that have this. And let me tell you, if you're not familiar um, and, and you don't have Lyme disease or know anyone that has, please don't. I, we wouldn't wish this stuff on anyone. It is ridiculously difficult to diagnose. There are tons and tons of symptoms that go with it. And it's it probably is even more difficult to get rid of. There's just this long process. So we're going to spend today's show, and this may boil over into next week's show. Um, Probably. There's a lot to talk about with Lyme disease. There's so much to talk about. And those of you who do have a Lyme disease diagnosis know that it is difficult to find a practitioner that knows what they're doing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they can make, you know, and we talk. They can make it a lot worse. Right, exactly. And we talk a lot on this show about things that you can do at home, and we will go through some things you know, at some point in this show, but Lyme disease more than anything else is one of these that it's not really something you're going to be able to uh, hop on your own. A a bowl of chicken soup and some rest isn't going to help you with this thing. Right. Um, Unfortunately. So let's talk about it. Um, Let's just dive in and, and just go through the process of, you know, identifying it and helping you guys have a better understanding of what's going on. So Lyme disease, basically one of the most common uh, American tick-borne infection uh, infections out there. Um, and it most often goes either undiagnosed or was misdiagnosed in the very beginning and then leads to a long process of trying to figure out what in the world goes on. So really if we if we boil this down it's a pro- it's it's a bit of a problem because there've up to 300,000 new cases of Lyme disease diagnoses that are reported by the CDC or Centers for Disease and Pre- D- Disease Control and Prevention um every year and there's an increase of up to 10 times of what researchers previously believed were out there. So this stuff is just rampant. Right. And this is one of those things that those of you who have been diagnosed with Lyme disease are probably well aware of because it's one of those that really has been this, you know, ground up movement where it are it's all of the people who have gotten these diagnoses that are saying, hey, this is a real thing. Like yeah. we need, you know, 
we are getting it and quit telling us that it doesn't occur in like this part of the country or you right. know all of these things right. where it, and it's it, it really was a it really was a grassroots effort in coming up with the diagnosis and and figuring out that there was actually this stuff called Lyme disease because there were a lot of people in the northeast a few decades ago that they just they couldn't get answers and the the parents of all these kids that were just sick and sick getting sicker and they, they just finally just kept screaming, hey, there's something wrong with our kids. There's something wrong with our kids. There's something wrong with our kids. And finally, they figured out, oh, okay, well, we'll call, we're going to call this Lyme disease. So, I mean, if you look at the map of the, of the CD, on the CDC's website of reported cases of Lyme disease, it is heavily, heavily concentrated in the Northeast. It's also heavily concentrated in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Almost the entire state of Wisconsin is just as heavily uh, documented as and, and what, what, how are they documenting it in, in a uh, di- um, diagnosis per capita as there are in the Northeast? I mean, it's just crazy how rampant this stuff is. Right. But with it being really popular or, you know, I mean, seeing more uh, more diagnoses in, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota, we can say we see a lot in this area. Yeah, you see it. We see it here, too. And yeah. And on to your point about the people that say that the, there's no possible way that Lyme disease happens here. Let's just I, let's just take a little bit of common sense here. We we start tracking the flu in China and Japan and it works its way across the world. But Lyme disease can't cross a county line. Right. <laughs> what in the world is that? I mean, come on. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, there's just, I mean, it just absolutely makes no sense. So anyway, so Lyme disease. The actual name for this um, bug that creates this problem is called Borrelia burgdorferi. Um, and this stuff can basically proliferate or grow and replicate in every single area within your body. So we used to think that it was only transmitted by a deer tick, a black-legged deer tick. Okay, I can I can get on I I can get on that bandwagon and say that's how it's transmitted. But there are researchers out there that say that this stuff is transmitted by rodents, that it may be transmitted sexually. There are a lot of different theories on this. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not. I know that originally they figured out that this that this black legged deer tick is the one that that carried it. And so okay, we'll we'll go with the official with the official story of it's transmitted by a tick bite. Right, but I think that that's an important point because there are a lot of people who have eventually gotten the diagnosis of Lyme disease who cannot ever point to having a tick bite. Right. And But also, I mean, there are a lot of places that these ticks can get right. on the body that you wouldn't even know. I mean, I had patients in my office say, yeah, I, you know, and I know that I was bit by a tick, but the problem is when I think I got bit by the tick was three weeks prior to when I actually found the tick because I wasn't even outside or anywhere that a tick would get me. Except for when I went camping and was, you know, doing this. I mean, there's all kinds of stories like that. Right. So, and, you know, the, oftentimes the, the, the pathognomonic or the, 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 this is exactly what happened is, oh, you got bit by a tick and you developed this bullseye rash. Well, what if you got bit by a tick in your hair? How are you going to see the bullseye rash? You know, I mean, there's just some common sense things here that you have to consider. Not everyone has all of these just straight up textbook examples of of getting this condition. But anyway, so this stuff basically Lyme, it's it's kind of a booger because it can replicate and grow everywhere in your body. And it can also hide from 
and at the same time suppress your own natural immune system. It can basically get in there and just completely hijack and take control of your immune system, which makes it extremely difficult difficult to kill. There are some guys out there that talk on Lyme disease and lecture on Lyme disease that claim that, that, the, that this spirochete Borrelia creates its own biofilm that is basically this just kind of impenetrable film that surrounds it so your immune system doesn't even recognize that the bug is even present. And so an example of biofilm, when you wake up in the morning and you've got that uh, film stuff all over your teeth, that would be a biofilm. Um, So they're saying that these bugs can do that. Now, I don't know, again, I'm just repeating lectures that I've listened to and, and heard in, you know, in my continuing education hours of just trying to get a handle on what's really truly going on with this phenomenon known as Lyme disease. Right. And as difficult as, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about the various conditions that, you know, people come in with and that have been difficult to diagnose. Lyme is one of the most difficult, even, you know, being highly trained in, you know, diagnosing and treating Lyme disease. It's one of the most challenging because it mimics other illnesses. Yeah. The flu, it can have symptoms like headaches, muscle aches, stomach ulcers, constipation, joint pain. A lot of the things that we, you know, have reported are symptoms of other problems. Right. And that's that's most often it. And when you when you take a an immune system that is being weakened and you pair that. And I, we've talked on here a lot about how just the, the modern everyday lifestyle weakens your immune system, going out and being exposed to toxins, toxins and things like that. But if you if you pair the weakened immune system and you combine that with the, the a suboptimal cellular function with the chronic bacterial infection and you know, you you throw in all this all these toxins, molds, parasites, other things that can make, you know, your overall health worse and you comp that with Lyme disease, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to figure out what is truly going on, and it's hard to, you know, nail down that one single diagnosis, and we've been trained for so long in this country that you've everything that you have comes down to one single individual diagnosis, right. and that's what we can take care of. Well, I mean, what do you do when you have all of these symptoms? You go into all these different kinds of specialists who none of them are trained to actually figure out what it is that's going on and look at the body globally. They're trained to look at their specific area. It's impossible to get answers. And I think that's what frustrates so many people. It's how that's how they end up eventually in my office. The the few lucky ones are the ones that that show up without having to go through all of those hoops, and they haven't been to fifty other doctors. They've been to one or two, right? And but and, even those, and we consider them the lucky ones, right? But even those who have already been diagnosed, a lot of times end up in our office because they don't. Uh, have anyone who can adequately treat them. Well, yeah, or they've been misdiagnosed right. and they're treating them for something that really it, it doesn't do them any good whatsoever because it's the wrong thing and they're going about it all all backwards. So, I mean, I feel bad for the patients who come in that have been mis- misdiagnosed. A lot um, of times with fibromyalgia, that's a very common one. Right. Yes, absolutely. They do complain um, and they come in and say, yeah, well, I have fibromyalgia. And so, you know, what's sad is you've got conventional medicine that's saying, well, there's we can't find anything wrong with you. And you've got functional medicine doctors who don't really do this kind of level of testing or they're not really sure how to do it or they've just not quite been quite trained in identifying and helping this. And they're not getting answers from either side of the fence. So then they're just like, I don't I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Right. So 
if you if you leave these symptoms and problems un, unchecked, if you don't really you know get after it, it's just going to be this long term inflammatory response, this long term just feeling bad that's going to lead to autoimmune illness and all kinds of other things. So, all right, we got to take another break. Um, well, I guess it's our first break, isn't it? We got to take our first break. And um, when we come back, we're going to talk about what Lyme disease is. We're going to dive in a little deeper on that. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the controversy surrounding it. You're listening to Wellness 101. Hey, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in today on the show, we are talking about Lyme disease, um, kind of a controversial topic to say the least um and i guess we just left off and we were we we're going to come back in and talk about uh, the lime lime and and the controversy that surrounds it so jumping right in we so this is kind of gets frustrating to me because i think this happens a lot in medicine is there's this broad spectrum of perspectives on lime and basically you have one end of the spectrum where you have practitioners who say that there's no such thing as lime disease it doesn't exist it's all made up and and it's it's hokum and then on the other end of the spectrum you have these guys that say, no, it really truly is. There's a lot of things that go with it. And then you have these kind of people that aren't, they want to claim that they're in the middle, but they're really not really truly in the middle. And those are the ones that say, well, Lyme disease is only an acute infection. And once you get over it, you're completely done with it. Well, that's like saying you're either really, really healthy or you're sick. And then if you are sick, you're only going to be sick for a couple of weeks, and then you're going to be really, really healthy again. That absolutely makes no sense. It's like when a few weeks ago when we were talking about the adrenal um, adrenal glands, and we talked about how medicine says that your adrenal glands are either extremely healthy or you're, you have disease. There's no middle ground. We know that's that's garbage. There's, there is a middle ground. There is a lot of stuff that goes along with this. Right. And this is where we get a lot of, you know, people writing into us and a lot of the people who come and see us who are extremely frustrated because they know that it's real because they're dealing with the symptoms. Right. So they know that it's not just an acute illness, that there's chronic Lyme and it is difficult to deal with. Right. Well, so some people... I, I got I got to I got excited and, and started doing a little of my own research into this stuff and seeing what the CDC actually had to say. It's very interesting. So it's it's one of these things where we have multiple names for something. We've we've gone through conditions like this before that have gone through a bajillion different names before finally landing on and and and. And calling something a, a a name because we didn't know how what to what to do with it or how to treat it or any, you know whatever the process was. Well, so you have people that say, well, we have chronic Lyme, and this is you know this whole myriad of things: joint pain, nausea, flu-like symptoms, cur- leading to you know autoimmune condition and thyroid problems and cardiovascular disease and all this stuff that goes along with chronic Lyme. And then you have the CDC stance, and the CDC says that people don't have chronic Lyme. What they have is post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And basically what they're saying here is that what happens to people after they're treated with for Lyme, we don't really know what it is, and sorry that it happened to you, but that's just, I mean, all, we're just going to say it's post-treatment 
syndrome. Well, that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. You know it and I know it. it makes no sense that we have all these problems and we're just going to say it's post-treatment because I'll be honest, there aren't that many people that actually get treated for Lyme because the testing isn't really that good for it. And they come up a bunch of false negatives and you end up saying, oh, no, you don't have Lyme. And well, how in the world can you call, tell these people that they have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome or whatever I just rattled off? It says, what did I say that thing? What, did, what do they call it? Post, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Yeah, I was right. Post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. What do you do with those people? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. So what if we go way out on a limb? I mean, all the way out to the very end of that limb and invite into the that the idea that the treatment, say somebody got treated, they did the antibiotics, they did the doxycycline, you know, that's the antibiotic of choice for Lyme disease. Say they did that treatment exactly how they were supposed to and they still have all these problems. I'm going to go out all the way on the end of this limb and I'm going to invite everyone to this idea that quite possibly the treatment didn't work. Hmm. It's possible. What if, what if just for a second that that antibiotic isn't the exact thing that fixes and kills Lyme disease? What if, what if we just said that? What do you think, Aaron? Well, and I think that there's research that shows that, I mean, Lyme disease, one of the issues is that, you know, a single course of antibiotics generally isn't okay to get rid of it. It can hide from certain antibiotics. Um, there are all sorts of things. I mean, that's what makes Lyme disease so difficult to treat. Right. And then, again, I will we, we will play both sides of the fence here. Then we have people on the other side of the fence, on the other side of the spectrum that, you know, most of them are on the Internet. You really, Some of them are hard to put a face to because it's just Internet writings claiming that pretty much everybody on the planet has chronic Lyme disease and all these, you know, Western health problems, chronic diseases are associated with Lyme. Well, that's, that's, that's just as far on the other end of the spectrum. And I, I'm not really sure that that's that – I don't think that's accurate either. But what if we just start from the beginning and talk a little bit about Lyme, explore it as an organism, talk about basics of it, and then get into this maybe even a little more, time permitting. So the degree and depth of this whole controversy is – relatively, I mean, when we really think about it, it's staggering on both sides of the fence. So Lyme disease, like we said before, what is it? It is specifically dealing with the bacteria Borrelia burgdorferi. This is a spirochete bacteria. It's kind of a circle um, corkscrew shaped type of bacteria transmitted by tick bite. Um, I'm pretty sure there are other types of transmission uh, that's that's just you know my opinion on it but the best not best documented you know course or um um, mode of transmission rather is by a tick bite usually it's a deer tick but whatever there's two different kinds of of deer ticks there's a scapularis which is the version that's in the northeast and there's a, a pacificus i think which is the northwest um version of it um so i mean the issue is you know we're here in the midwest and we have it too so is there a version that's in the midwest or are we just dealing with the pacificus or the or the um or the east coast version here in the, I mean, do we have both here in the middle? I mean, what do we have in the middle? That's that's where I'm at. So, 
there's also these co-infections that go along with um, this this bacteria, this spirochete that we'll talk about in a bit minute. But this bacteria creates this whole cascade of of issues. I mean. People can get sick right in the acute phase. Some people well, – well, let me step back and talk about the acute phase. If it's acute phase, most of the time people are dealing with fever. They're dealing with headaches. They're tired. They have um, flu-like symptoms. They have this pain, this mysterious migrating pain. Maybe one day they wake up and their shoulder hurts. Um, the next day they wake up and their other shoulder hurts. The next day they wake up and their ankle hurts. Right. And there are very few things that do that other than Lyme disease. Right. There's not very many things. You're exactly right. We, I, I reference it as the mysterious migrating pain. Um, that That's one of the things. So, you know, it, it really gets interesting as when you get into it as to whether or not this whole thing can be passed to somebody and then not cause any acute symptoms. This is where I think a majority of people find themselves is that this stuff gets passed. You don't really know that you have it. You don't get acute symptoms. You don't get flu-like symptoms. You don't get all of these things. Instead, it lays dormant and then decides to attack the body at some point in the future, whenever that is. I mean, we're talking years, decades even, that it comes in and rears its ugly head. And, you know, so we got two ends of the spectrum here. We either got, you ha- you get it and you have this acute reaction or you don't and you have this delayed reaction. Well, what if the people that have this delayed reaction don't really remember that they had flu-like symptoms? I mean, how many times do you, you know, do people wake up and they just say, well, I just didn't feel good. You know, I ask people, when was the last time you feel felt well? And I get, you know, everything from six months to 10 years prior. Well, if you didn't feel well during that time and you got bit by a tick, how would you even know that you had a symptom? If you didn't feel good to begin with, how could you possibly be able to to put all these things together and say, hey, this is a this is an issue. So I I just I think that there's this spectrum of things that we have to consider and let it not you know divide the 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 field and and the doctors that are that are taking care of this but we accept it that it's a that it could be you know either or right does that make sense Aaron did my did I did my point come across there I think so okay sometimes <laughs> I get rambling and I'm like eh, yeah. maybe people checked out I'm not really sure um but I think there's I think there's two ends of the spectrum here. I mean, you could have an acute reaction. It, you may not. You may have have had it. Don't even realize that you had it, and then it rears its ugly head down the road. So I just right, and that's where I we get to where I mentioned before that you know people come in and say I don't remember getting bit, bit by a tick. Well, it could have happened so long ago that you know I mean, and sometimes they can remember. Oh gosh, you know like. Maybe when I was a kid, I think maybe I got bit by a tick. But, I mean, it can take a long time right. for these symptoms to come up and actually and, start causing problems. And how many kids were sick? I mean, we don't remember all the, I mean, I couldn't tell you all the times that I was sick as a kid. I don't know. I wasn't that sick as a kid, but I couldn't tell you, oh, yeah, I remember having this then. I remember, you know, having strep throat once, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you how, how old I was when I had that. I have no idea. So, I mean, there's just our memory of being able to figure this stuff out is, I mean, it's impossible to do. So, all right, we just got the, we just got the, uh, we need to take a break signal from, uh, from Liz. So when we come back, we're going to 
talk a little bit more about Lyme, where it came from, and then we're going to get into testing and, and diagnosing of Lyme. You're listening to Wellness 101. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're here today on Wellness 101. Aaron is is here, uh, very excited to talk about this lovely topic of Lyme disease. Um, she had so much to say last uh, segment. Um, well, but, I'm not treating Lyme disease. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, Lyme disease. Basically, like we've just been kind of going through a little bit about what's been, you know, what we know about it. Why there's why there's a little bit of controversy with it. Lyme disease gets its name from where it was, quote, discovered. And I say discovered, like I said before, it, you know, it was, it, it got named because these parents in the 70s and 80s were basically jumping up and down screaming, hey, you know what, our kids are are sick. And so they just kept, you know, screaming and screaming and screaming and they're Basically, persistence paid off, and the CDC and, and a bunch of rheumatologists kind of got together, and they they you know discovered quote unquote Lyme disease, um, which and- is how so many of the things that we talk about here come about. You know, a lot of times it's this grassroots effort where people are saying, "Hey, these really you know these symptoms really do exist. There is something going on here," and finally they push the right people and they actually look into it and say, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So right. this just happened to start out in Lyme, Connecticut, and that's where the R- name comes right. from. Right. It reminds me of uh, Albert Zinsgori. Um, he's the guy that uh, in, you know, found vitamin C. He had a quote that said, uh, most scientific discovery doesn't come from the word eureka. It comes from, hmm, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of true. Um, this, so this is one of those things. So, in if we think about Lyme disease, we're, we're this is referencing one bacteria. I just I I think that this is broader in a, in in this big like society type of way. We're we're talking about this general illness syndrome. This you know the sick syndrome. Where we have these co-infections, and I mentioned that just a little bit ago, we have all these co-infections because, I mean, ticks basically are completely full of different types of pathogens. Right, bacteria and parasites, and we know that parasites are, you know, the cause of so much more than we used to believe. Yeah, and so there are all these different, uh, very specific things, and they're, they're extremely difficult to diagnosed properly. I mean, the testing itself, I mean, is not that great for these, these co-infections. I mean, it's just not, unfortunately. Um, it, we, if you don't catch it in the acute phase, it's difficult. These things have a difficult time of, of, of testing. Right. And then you have this more global decrease of function. Right. That, you know, like the chronic yes. fatigue and fibromyalgia that it, can come along with it. Right. These people just basically are falling apart piece and, and part and piece at a time and they can't figure it out. And the doctors don't seem to know because today this bothers them and the next day something else bothers them. And when you have all of that going on, you're just you're just a dog chasing your tail. Right. And we get a lot of that in the clinic. And I know we've talked about a lot of different, you know, things that could be causing things like this. Lyme is probably the worst of all of these in the way that it switches so much. So it's not, you know, it's one thing for someone to come in and say, you know, I have 
headaches and I am in pain and I have, you know, I mean, um, I feel like my brain isn't working properly. I mean, those could be a number of different things. They are very kind of diffuse symptoms. But the issue with Lyme is that those things can change. And like the migratory pain. Mysterious migrating pain. I mean, that and you can just imagine someone who's suffering and they come in one day and they're like, well, you know, my foot hurts. And the next day it's like, well, my shoulder is really what's bothering me today. And I mean, if doctors can't figure out what to do with you when you have fatigue, pain, and headaches, they have no clue generally what to do with the pain isn't even staying in one place. Right. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there, researchers that are really diving into into Lyme. I mean, they're trying to say that this stuff even contributes to more chronic illnesses, things that we're much more familiar with, with things like multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. We're trying to put all this stuff together. Even Parkinson's. There's a researcher out there that says that in a relatively high percentage of people that have these amyloid plaques in their brain, that spirochetes are present in those. So, I mean, this is just a, and it's an enormous deal that to me, he's just getting swept under the rug, and they're just right. dismissing it like, "Oh, oh no!" You know, to me, when we swipe, when we're sweeping things under the rug like that, it's like we don't have an answer for it, so therefore, it doesn't exist. Right? We're linking it to Alzheimer's, and the thing is that we don't know yet. The research hasn't shown us yet. Okay, is this actually causing these problems? It may very well not be causing them, but like we've talked about before, that genes play a small per, you know, a small role. It's a small percentage of the cause of different things. Well, if you are predisposed to that and then you get infected with Lyme disease, that may accelerate the problem or may bring right. it about when otherwise you wouldn't be experiencing those symptoms. Right. It's like gasoline itself didn't cause the house fire, but boy, it sure didn't help anything. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, that's a, that's how I look at that. And, and that's how uh, I think a lot of people are looking at it, but nobody's, nobody's speaking their language. Nobody's telling the information like, well, it didn't cause it maybe, but it sure in the world doesn't help it. Right. And again, I think a lot of this comes back to the fact that Lyme is so difficult to figure out. If Lyme had one, if it was really clear cut, you know, like everyone was going to have this bullseye rash and then you have this and there was this like known progression of the disease. Well, conventional medicine's all over that stuff. I mean, that's what they want, right? Okay, let's follow the path. But when there isn't a clear path and there clearly isn't with Lyme disease, they just kind of throw up their hands and either say it doesn't exist or they try to tell you that you're actually going down this other path and right. that's what happens they with people they shove go, you they shove you into a different box right exactly because someone's got to fit into every box yep. and you got to fit into the box if you don't fit into the box that the doctor has for you then they're going to do everything they can to put you in it <laughs> then you get the crazy box yes <laughs> then you get the padded box <laughs> right so if it doesn't make sense to us then you must be nuts and we'll try to give you an antidepressant or an anxiety right. medication right. or something like that which is sad because those types of medications can be very helpful to people that really truly need them Right. No, exactly. So, I mean, it's just insane that that's that's what we're doing to people. We're we're putting them in that sort of box. So, let's shift gears just a second and talk about the testing. So, the, another controversial thing is whether or not Lyme disease is actually increasing in prevalence or not. If you look at the map, I mean, you can, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to the CDC's website and search Lyme disease. They have a map of the United States showing prevalence, showing how this thing has has 
where, where it was, they put a little purple dot. Well, at least on my computer, it's purple. Or my colorblind eyes, it's purple. Uh, may not be purple on your screen, but it's purple on mine. It shows the entire United States, and it's got purple dots and where they are. And I'm telling you, the entire Northeast is like one big purple mass. And if you just, I mean, so it's hard to judge if it's increasing in prevalence there. But if you look at Wisconsin and Minnesota, and you can't see that from 2002 to 2015, I think it's 2002 to 2015, or it's 2000 to 2013, whatever. If you can't see that that Wisconsin and Minnesota are becoming significantly more purple, even my colorblind eyes can see that. It is definitely increasing in prevalence. Right, and that is just the documented cases. Right. And Those that's are just, just documented through the CDC, which I know you're going to talk about. Right, is not- <laughs> and that's utilizing probably the most pitiful way to test for Lyme that's out there. It's just not very accurate. The, the, the way that they test, they test for it, literally the negativity the, or the false negative rate for their way of testing is somewhere between 33 and 75 percent false negatives. So that's telling you that you're negative when you're when you're actually positive. That's what a false negative is. And a false positive would be telling you that you're positive for something when you actually don't have it. A false negative is telling that you telling you that you do not have something when you actually do. And so that's problematic. So I mean how how we go about diagnosing it. So l- let's just let's just back up for just a second. So you go into your doctor and if you, this is a regular conventional doctor. Regular conventional doctor and you're told you know they tell you tell them you know I've got a tick bite and let's let's go out on a limb and say you actually have the bullseye rash which is a which is this which is the typical presentation of this thing. This is textbook. Well, it's stereotypical. It's what they say, you know, that's what the textbook says. You know, that means that, right. you know, you have this tick bite. But actual documented research of this thing, when you really dive into it, it's somewhere in the 30, maybe 50 percent of people actually have a bullseye rash. Right. So and at so least half, maybe much more than half, never have that rash. Don't have the but rash. even if you have the rash. Right. And maybe they did have the rash. It was just on their head. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, that's possible. So if you go in there and they, and they suspect Lyme, okay, and your doctor agrees to test you. What they're going to run is a two-tiered test. Basically, they're going to run an ELISA antibody test. Um, that's just what it is. And then if that's positive, they reflex to this other thing called a Western blot. I've seen people that come in with test results and all they have is Western blot or all they have is the antibody test. They don't have both. And I mean, what, each of them individually is less successful than... Th- than the 33 to 75 percent false negative that we had to begin with. So, I mean, the testing, it just baffles me. As you can see, I get a little frustrated and a little worked up about it. Well, and there are a number of reasons that these things can be happening. We know, you know, I mean, for one thing, there are a certain percentage of people who are lucky enough to mount a robust antibody response and then that shows up in the blood test. Right. Yeah, they their their system is able to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm big and strong and bad and and they have all these antibodies and the antibodies are what show up." But what if what if that's not you? Right, exactly. Well, and I think that makes, you know, it's a good point because then there's on the other end of the spectrum, there's those who, you know, they're there are studies that show the longer you're sick with this and the longer it's been since you were actually exposed, 
you're less likely to show an antibody response because of the way the bacteria can evade the immune system, which right. is what we talked about before. And this is that whole, these guys that think that this stuff creates a biofilm and protects itself and hides from your immune system to where you can't identify it. So, all right, we've got to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue on with this whole um, testing controversy of what's going on with that. You're listening to Wellness 101. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to wrap up our uh, first of probably just a couple shows on Lyme disease. I think so, yeah. Surely we can get through the rest of the stuff that we need to talk about in in one more show. Um, So today we've just been talking about Lyme, the controversy around it, you know, why it's so difficult to diagnose the, you know, the idea of this whole mysterious migrating pain. Um, It's just, it's just complex. And before we left, we were talking about how the testing is really not that great. Um, standard medical testing is really not that great. It's the false negative rate for it is somewhere between 33 and 75% um, based on the criteria that they utilize. And so we were talking about how, you know, sometimes people have an acute reaction, but they have an antibody response that's big enough and strong enough. And then other times they don't. And the longer it's been since you got infected, the less likely you are going to mount an antibody response. Your immune system isn't going to respond the way you it should. Right. So it will show that you don't actually have Lyme disease. And I mean, these are what are called stealth pathogens. So they're stealth. remarkably... Stealth pathogens. <laughs> I like that. They're remarkably well designed to persist and hide from the immune system, which we had mentioned before. So after a while, your body kind of gives up and stops man- making antibodies. And right. what's interesting with that is that then when a lot of times when, you know, when we treat people or we've talked with other doctors, when they start treating people for Lyme disease, when if you test them after that, a lot of times their tests will then turn positive right. well, because he, the immune system will start seeing the bacteria. And here's where it gets better is when you come in and we're working with somebody and we're taking care of them, we're doing all this stuff and we're making them, they're getting much better. And then all of a sudden they hit a wall, just like head first smack, boom, all of a sudden nothing's working. And I'm left scratching my head going, huh, what in the world's going on? And then we say, well, you know what? Maybe we need to check for Lyme disease. Yep. And sure enough, positive. And all we really did, we weren't even dealing with it. We didn't, we, it wasn't on the horizon. There was no reason to think about it. There was no reason to test for it, no reason to go and, and look in that direction. We were helping this person with these other things, this whole host of other things, because why? Remember, all of these conditions, they have symptoms that overlay each other. And we were dealing with all of this stuff. We basically made that person's system healthy enough that they started killing off Lyme bugs and boom. Positive for Lyme disease. Right. And I just want to point out, I mean, I know this wasn't the point of what you're saying, but this really, I think, is one of the huge differences between our clinic and others is that if something like that happens, we don't just look at the patient and say, well, you must not be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, I mean, it's we right. get curious about, okay, what else is going on here? Well, well what's, what's better, though, what I see frequently is when patients come in and they're like, they want to blame everything that they've been doing that's making them better that all of a sudden now that stuff's what's making them sick. That's not what's making you sick. And I have to talk them back down about, look, that's not really what's going on. Remember, this is what we had going on. These were where you were progressing. This is what was happening. And then all of a sudden it switched. If we look over here, we have to make sure that it's not this or that or something else. And then when they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then we get 
the do a Lyme test and boom, it's positive. Well, now we have a bunch of answers. And all of a sudden, those people start racking their brains to figure out where in the world did I come into contact potentially with right. Lyme. And then we get a different story of, you know what? When I was a kid, I did this. You know what? When I was a kid, because they, they weren't, our brains aren't made to think of all the things that you did throughout your life and be able to present that to, to someone when, when a question is asked. Right. That's why we've got the test for it. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. So what's interesting, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over, skip ahead a little bit. There's, there's, there's like some things that are going on really kind of out in California now. What's, what's happening is there's some research and what they're finding is strains of Borrelia that we thought were strictly isolated to European countries are making their way into at least California because that's where they're researching it. And so, you know, we have Borrelia burgdorferi, which is what we talk about here, but there's also Borrelia bassetti, Borrelia, I'm going to butcher this, um, Myamotoi, I'm not really sure. It starts with an M. Um, So there, there are other, these other strains that are out there that researchers are starting to see this stuff, when they find figured this stuff out, what they're dealing with is this relapsing type thing. So you have a problem and it goes away and then you have a problem and then it goes away and you have a problem and it goes away. I mean, this is this is a patient's nightmare and a doctor who doesn't really know what to look for. It's their nightmare as well, because they're definitely going to be throwing up their hands and saying, well, you know, you were obviously better and then you got worse. What did you do? As opposed to saying, what happened? Right. Well, and I think the other part of this is that, you know, with the tests that are generally used aren't going to pick up the antibodies for these other type of Borrelia. Right. It's very specific to one thing. And so until we start figuring out better testing, you're, you're just going to have a hard, a hard time figuring this stuff out. And, you know, a lot of the stuff CDC doesn't even acknowledge. But, again, we had a bunch of parents back in the 70s and 80s that had sick kids for a long time before their screaming led them to say, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's let's call it this. Right, exactly. The CDC says their testing is accurate. And that's, I mean, we've talked about this with so many other things. And we talk about this with celiac disease where they're saying, you know, doctors are like, well, it picks up whether you have celiac. Well, but it doesn't pick up whether you have an issue with gluten. I mean, right. like, so a lot of, I mean, it's not, there are a lot of issues with the general testing ran by conventional doctors. Right. There just and, is. And individually, I mean, this is the thing, you know, and this is, this is where it's hard to treat the masses because I get the CDC's point, completely understand that, you you know, you got to stand firm in your beliefs and, and, and what you think you're doing to help the masses. But individually, these scientists know that what, what's out there isn't adequate, but Sometimes they don't even know how to go about fixing right. it. But I, I mean, think I wouldn't know even where to begin. Also, the key is like what you said, it, the scientists know the medical doctors don't necessarily because they're not in the you know, they're not in there actually doing the research. The right. scientists are right. The you know, scientists generally will tell you, yeah, no, there's only so much that we know here. But then what gets, you know, actually transmitted to the doctors, what they're told is. This, the testing is accurate. Either they have it or they don't. Right. And, you and know, it's I mean, only and it's only in these parts of the country. So exactly. if you live somewhere else, it doesn't exist. That's what's baffling to me. Yeah. Is we, like I said at the beginning of the show, we buy into the idea that the flu can't, travels the world in just a matter of days, but a tick-borne illness can't cross a county line. Or you know, it's just. I mean, it's just baffling. It's just baffling. Um, so anyway, I mean, you know, this is just, I don't know what else to say. I'm, I get a little frustrated. 
I get a little frustrated at that. I mean, just just, just acknowledge that it's that it's a possibility. Right. But I mean, know? exactly. But that also is why so many people end up in our clinic. And that's right. why, you know, I mean, we need more people getting curious and, you know, looking for these things and figuring out how to treat them. Right. And I mean, they, they get to us eventually, but it's just a lot, most of them, they're like, well, I wish I would have found you sooner. I wish I could have done this sooner because, you know, thousands of dollars later and countless, you know, hours of missed work and doctor visits. I mean, it just, it just stinks. Right. So there's also a lot of, um, you know, uh, different information that we get as far as, you know, even if you know you have a tick bite, how long it has to attach for there to actually um, right. have the bacteria transmitted. Right. Some people say it needs to be there two to three days. Other people say it just needs to be there. Some people say if you try to pull that thing off, it's going to regurgitate all of its all of its stuff into you, which is what really drives infection rates. So I, I don't know what's right. I just know that there's when you have this much controversy and this much problem out there trying and misinformation and just flat out lies, something is wrong. We've got to we've got to take a, a second look and say, well, maybe the patients are, you know, are right. Maybe they're, you know, maybe there is something there and we need to look a little deeper and treat the person rather than trying to shove them in a box. Right. Exactly. And, and run more in-depth testing. I mean, because maybe you didn't need to have a bullseye rash. Maybe you didn't need to have the tick attached for that long right. because that's what we're seeing in our practice. What, mean, if, what if by chance this stuff is transmitted from mama to baby and the baby was born with it? Yeah. We don't, I, I don't have any idea. Well, we I'm don't just know throwing yet. it out there. But as long as, I mean, that's why so often, you know, I mean, we say this like so often on the show is that you have to be. Uh, testing for this. Right. So anyway, that's about all the time we have for today. Um, Tune in next week for sure, because we're going to finish this up. We're going to talk a little bit more about Lyme and things that you can do. Um, If you want more information about us, uh, visit our website, theinstituteofnaturalhealth.com. Give us a call, 314-293-8123. Follow us on all of our social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, send us emails, call, whatever. We, we do our best to answer your questions and get back to you. For Aaron and for Wellness 101, I'm Dr. TJ. Thanks for listening.